welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. And welcome to our show from uh, live from the great studio in New Jersey. And it, we are going to be talking about all kinds of cool stuff today. A lot of it is going to be weather related and also how is it possible to better teach your dog how to react, react and respond to other dogs. So we all say, oh, you know, my dog isn't really good with other dogs. Um, you know, my dog doesn't like other dogs. My dog doesn't know how to play with other dogs. My dog's not social with other dogs. Well, why does that happen? Think to yourself, why does that happen? How does it start where you have a puppy or, you know, you have a rescue, but assuming you have, start with a puppy and the puppy is fine with other dogs until one day it's not fine anymore. What happened on that day? Well, it's not always what happened. It's what you didn't do to prevent it from turning into something more because you didn't know. Now, one of the things I want to stress here is if you don't know what to do because you don't have that skill in your or that tool in your toolbox or that skill in your skill set, well, what happens then, right? You don't know what to do, so maybe you don't do the right thing. And it's not out of being frustrated. It's not out of being ignorant. It's, you just you just didn't know because you didn't need that because you've had dogs your whole life and you've just never had one like that. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about today. How do you make sure that you don't basically, for lack of a better way to say it, mess up your dog or wreck your dog? Well, the first thing is don't think about the behavior as a personal affront and attack to you. Oh my goodness. My dog is trying to ruin my life. My dog is doing whatever it's doing. And all of a sudden, you guys get frustrated and you go, oh, no, well, well, that can't be. I've had dogs my whole life. I had a nickel for every single uh, individual uh, who told me that. Yeah. So it's not that your dog is saying, in dog language, hey, I hate you, human. I'm going to make you pay for the rest of your life. The dog is just a dog. It's just being a dog. And dogs do what dogs do because they're dogs. That's what they do. So what can cause a dog who's been, you know, fine with dogs or fine with people all of a sudden to have a bad experience or to just change randomly? Well, as you probably figure, most of these things don't happen randomly. What typically does happen, though, is you have something that happens, some incident happens where somebody fell on the dog or landed near the dog or a branch fell or a noise or somebody dropped keys behind the dog or another dog sniffed at the inappropriate time. Whatever it is that that moment began, you have to change that moment. So if you don't change that moment, how is anything going to change? And the answer is, it's not. So instead of saying, my dog is dog aggressive, do you even know what that means? Like, I've had people through the years, through, God, 40, almost 40 years since I was negative 15, um, I've had people saying to me, hey, I, I, my dog is dog aggressive. Can you come over and help? Or my dog is people aggressive. Or my dog is aggressive with food or whatever. 
And it turns out a lot of times they're not. It's just your perception of it. So let me kind of straighten that out. Aggression is teeth on skin. The dog is attempting with intent, not just barking, but with intent, attempting to get to you. Dog has a muzzle on, perhaps, and it would have absolutely torn you up if it had not had the muzzle on. That's intent. Okay? A dog putting a tooth into or onto someone with the intent to do so, that is aggression. But what is not aggression? A dog growling, a dog barking, a dog putting its head down. Aggression is specifically the act of biting, the act of being aggressive to another. And it can be over food, it can be over a toy, it can be over uh, a person who's petting. Uh, Sometimes what will happen is you'll have, you know, two dogs in a family and somebody's petting one and, you know, then this one comes over and wants to be petted and all of a sudden the one snaps and this one goes and you got a dog bite. Well, there's a problem that starts not out on the walk, not out on your bicycle, not out in your front yard, but it starts with your home. It starts with what are you doing and what are you asking of your dogs in your own home? So if you're not in charge of your own home, how in the heck do you expect to be in charge of your dog out on a walk? The problem is that the things that people assume are aggression often are not. And when you start using, as I call it, the A word, when you start calling people and say, I've got a dog who's aggressive. If that dog is truly aggressive, you've probably got a bite history on him already. Or maybe you don't have a bite history on him, and maybe the dog is just, um, you know, you've been preventing it. But I'd say probably four out of five times, it's not aggression, it's reactivity. So let's discuss that. What does it mean when a dog is reactive to another dog? So if you can get your dog out and it sees other dogs and it's fine until the other dog does something, your dog is not aggressive at that point. Your dog is reactive. So reactive is, if you think about it, a reaction to someone else um, or something else, an outside factor that creates the situation in which your dog barks, growls, tries to bite, whatever. So think about that as somebody who runs like at a, like a football player who runs at the opposition in order to try to hurt them because they hate all football players or they hate all men in hats or they hate all whatever versus someone is trying to steal your wallet or hurt you and you react in self-defense. So a dog who's reactive is reacting to other stimuli, where a dog that is aggressive is usually the one who's the bully or the one who is acting in the aggressive manner first. And a lot of times when you know people don't even realize what they're doing, but if you, let's say you pet your dog when at the wrong time, you're now telling your dog or teaching your dog that listen, you know, it's okay, you don't have to, um, you know, that that was a good job, so whatever um, 
if let's say a dog was barking at your dog and you pet your dog, when it's barking back, you just reinforced the fact that the dog is barking back. Instead of correcting the dog for barking with the intent of teaching the dog, hey, it doesn't matter if the other dogs are barking. It really doesn't. It only matters if you're barking. So I don't care what everybody else does. I care what you do. I care that you are changing, if you would, the way your dog perceives everything around him. Your dog needs to understand that he doesn't need to, not that he can't, but that he doesn't need to to do anything, really. He doesn't need to change anything. All he does need to do is to listen to you and check in with you, which is great because if somebody checks in with you, then the chances are that he's not going to go biting somebody. Why is he going to bite somebody when he's able to, um, you know, react that way? If he's getting corrected, then if he's reacting that way and you're telling him in dog language, no, don't do that. Well, yeah, that's what we want to do, right? We want to do that. We want to teach the dog, think about it and look at me or check in with me and not using a look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me command, but rather truly wanting to care and truly invested in the fact that you are going to provide and to protect. If you are invested in that providing and protecting and the dog looks to you in order to be um, feeling that he's gotten everything he needs, he doesn't have to do a job because you're already doing it, your dog is not going to be reactive. So how do you prevent it? Let's say the first time something happens, how do you prevent that first time that you learn that the dog is doing something? So let's say you're walking your eight-month-old puppy, let's call it a lab. Walking your chocolate lab puppy, he's eight months old, another dog lunges at him, tries to snap at him. Completely the other dog's fault. Your dog is afraid and runs behind you. Good reaction or bad reaction? Well, yeah, that's a good reaction. If it's not in fear, but I wouldn't be petting him to tell him, oh, yeah, that's good, be afraid and be behind me. But I wouldn't reward it or reinforce it either because I would be saying to myself, well, It was really good that he didn't challenge the other dog or do anything, but it was also kind of really bad um, in the regard that um, he was doing it out of fear. So that's kind of the way that works. Yeah. So let's say the dog, instead of kind of scooching in behind you, let's say the dog lunges back at the other dog even tries to bite him or snap. What do you do on that? Well, it's good he wasn't acting out of fear, but it's bad that he was acting out of either dominance or potentially fear, depending on how the other dog was reacting and how he was in that moment. But that we would correct, right? Because we definitely, I don't care if the other dog tries to bite. You should see some of our group training classes that we do. Um, It's pretty funny where, We'll have a dog who's extremely reactive, even aggressive. Um, sometimes our do- the dogs, not our dogs, but the dogs who come to training classes have muzzles. 
But that doesn't mean that we can't correct them and teach them. So sometimes a muzzle and not a mesh muzzle, but an actual Baskerville muzzle, B-A-S-K-E-R-V-I-L-L-E, like hounds of the Baskerville, some kind of a muzzle like that, which is soft neoprene, but it's it's stringent and rigid enough that you won't get, usually you won't get bitten. Because then everybody can correct the dog. Now, just short of that, if we don't do that, we have the other um, portion of that, which is what do you do to prevent the dog? Why not prevent the dog? So now you've had the dog react to the aggressive dog that tried to bite it. You've corrected your dog. But now you see another dog up ahead. Oh, man, I can't believe it. There's never any dogs down that path. And that's the way I have to go to get home. And I'm going to be late for work. And you get yourself all stressed out. And lo and behold, what happens? Your dog reacts to that dog. Well, of course he did. Look at what your reaction was. So remember, your energy affects your dog's behavior. The way your dog reacts. The first time, you don't know. But the way your dog reacts after the first time, you control. So let's say the dog goes after the first dog. You give him a little correction. You give him a poke. You shush him. You um, maybe, like if you read my book, happens, S-H-H-H, happens, Dog Behavior 101. Read my book. If you read the book, you'll see what I'm talking about. And just pick up a copy and read it, and this will completely make sense. The first time, you don't know. So you would correct it as it happens. But after that, you do know. You have a pretty good idea what your dog's going to do and when your dog's going to do that. So if that's what's going to happen, and for the most part, you already know that the dog is going to react to the second dog because it already reacted to the first dog, why are you waiting? until that dog is close. Why are you doing the same thing that you, you know, would have done had you not had a problem? Well, you can do one of four things. You can fight. I mean, if you want to take your dog and fight the other dog, you know, that's kind of weird. Um, Not a great idea. You can flight, which is flee, which is run. You're never going to show your dog that you're afraid. You don't want to show your dog that that you're afraid because you're not afraid because you're the coolest mom, coolest leader, coolest whatever, owner, whatever you want to call yourself. You're the coolest. And the fact that you're the coolest in the whole world means that your dog should trust you and should understand that whatever you say, it goes because you're in charge. It's, It's not up to the dog to make a decision. It's up to you to make a decision. So, You can fight, you can run, right, flight. Avoid, okay, that's a good option. Avoid. How about avoiding? That kind of sounds like a good idea, right? You can avoid. You can go to a different path. You can go to a different place. Um, But there's a better way to do it even than avoiding. Remember that whatever you are near, like if let's say you're near the window and somebody else is coming into the house or coming through that window, If you're the one who's closest to the window, it's obvious, for a dog especially, but it's obvious that you are there because what I call positionally, you are being dominant. You are going positionally closer 
to the dangerous or scary thing than your dog or whoever else you're protecting. Remember also, if you're protecting your animal from whatever real or perceived danger or threat, your back would be to your animal because how are you going to protect yourself and your dog if you're staring out, you know, staring at something else or if you're staring at the dog? Stop staring at your dog. If you want to look at your dog, put him on your cell phone as your screensaver. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the way we got to do it. You, you just simply cannot do what you've been doing because if you don't change something, nothing's going to change. So let's think of how we can change that. So the dog is coming towards you. Your, your dog has already reacted to another similar looking dog and you can see it already. Uh-oh, look at that. I knew this was going to happen. He's pulling me towards the dog again. Well, let's examine what's going on. How is your dog between you and the other dog? Well, because if you're walking toward the other dog and that dog's walking toward you, it's pretty clear that if he's between you, that he's in front of you. And if he's in front of you like a flock of Canadian geese, which are really called Canada geese named after Louis Canada, but if you are in a flock of geese, whoever's in charge, whoever the very, very first goose is, is the one who decides and determines where you're going, uh, you know, how long you're flying, like everything, where you're stopping for water, where you're stopping for a break, you know, which uh, rest stop you're stopping at along the way because you're a goose. But if you don't teach the dog how to react and how to behave. How do you expect them to know? Like that's like teaching, you know, kids or not teaching kids and they grow up with issues. Well, they grow up with issues because you didn't discuss it. You didn't make sure that it was explained and understood. So your dog is not trying to get you in trouble. The dog is not trying to piss you off. The dog is just trying to be a dog. And he says to himself, Hey, I'm old enough. I'm, you know, eight months old or six months old or 12 months old or five years old or whatever. And the dog is saying to itself, in dog language, of course, it's saying to itself, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Like the little engine that could, I think I'm in charge. 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 No, you're not. So what do you do in that moment? You can give them a little correction with the gentle leader, but the key is, Put the dog on the opposite side of you from where the person and dog are coming up. So if the person, let's say, has the dog on the right side and you have your dog on the right side, you'll naturally pass dog, then the human, and then the other human, and then dog. That's what we want. Dog, human, human, dog. So the dogs are actually on the outside and the humans are on the inside because then the other dog has a person blocking, getting between him and you, because you're the dangerous, scary person. And same thing with you. Your dog is being blocked from danger by you. Dangerous or scary person is not going to be next to him. So you're going to do this same basic thing with every single issue that you have. You're going to put the dog on the opposite side until he sees that you're placing yourself in harm's way for him. And then once he realizes, oh, okay, that's not going to hurt me, then they stop reacting because they don't need to react anymore. And that's really the key. It's not that they can't react anymore. 
They don't need to. They don't want to be holding public office. They don't want to be president. You think about that. You know, who wants to be president? Like, really? You know, maybe a four-year-old in, you know, Kenosha, Wisconsin or something, or in, you know, New York City maybe says, oh, I'm, I want to be president. Well, you can't be president at 12 because you're not smart enough. You haven't learned enough. And you don't know how the world works. So your puppy is the same thing. Your puppy's a kid. So don't worry about how the puppy reacts. Just teach him the right way to react. Don't necessarily just punish him for doing something wrong, but teach him what to do right. If you do not teach your dog how to do the right thing, how do you expect him to learn? Same thing with a child. It's like it's like hitting a child because the child, you know, got a math problem wrong. Well, you never taught him how to do it. So, of course, he's not going to know how to do it. So that's what I want you to think about. Instead of reacting by yanking on the leash, pulling on the leash, squirting him in the face, can't, penny can, shaker can, you know, using a, a prong collar, whatever air horn, whatever crazy things you're using, you're using them because you don't know what to do. Because if you knew what to do, you wouldn't have to use those things. Having a relationship with a dog is much more than, you know, feeding, walking, etc. A dog, and especially dogs these days, even the little mixes of mixes of mixes, the, the Frankenstein experiments that we've seen, some of these crazy-looking oddball dogs, they're still dogs. It doesn't matter what kind of dog they are. It simply matters that they're a dog. And as soon as they're a dog, Dogs do what dogs do because they're dogs. Like people do what people do because we're people. Men do what men do because they are men. And women do what women do because we are women. That's why we act differently. Our hormones, our entire body system is what's dealing with this, you know, this situation and this ability for the dog to learn from you without you making the dog react. So let's say we're walking towards the other dog. If you put the dog on your outside, on your right or whatever, you pass so basically shoulder to shoulder with the person who's coming toward you. Once you do that and once you get all set up and you're walking toward that person, if you want to have a little more space, you can certainly, certainly move um, you know, over a little. You can move farther or closer as you're walking down a path. Try to go the opposite direction of people, especially once you think you've got a handle on it, because it'll make your life much, 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 much easier. So what do we do? All right. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to teach the dog at home. So how come that dog is able to pull you and get ahead of you? Well, I would try gentle leader head collar which is like a little loop of ribbon almost that goes around the snout. And that will help you enormously. The other thing that will help you a lot is start practicing at home. Read my book. You'll see the four rules. And if you follow these rules, like they're the recipe for a cake, for instance, the floor rule, make the dog yield to you. Do not kick him. Do not hurt him. Do not tell him to move. Do not yell at him. Just like kind of do what you do, walk through them. And if somehow he happens to, um, you know, to, to not move when you teach him to move, then he's disobeying you. Then you can shush him or poke him. 
but make sure he understands what you're asking first, because if you're asking for something and that's unclear, then how do you, um, you know, explain to your dog who doesn't speak English how to speak English? Good luck on that one. So, again, the whole key here is let's make sure that you're communicating effectively with your dog. A little bit of a preemptive correction, like a shush, little poke, whatever, so that the dog starts realizing that I don't want that behavior. And then one dog at a time, not 20 dogs that the dog is seeing one at a time. If you're going to do that, because you've all heard me talk about the rule of threes, ding, 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 ding. The rule of threes is make sure that whenever you're doing something, when you want it to actually sink in and become a habit, it's got to be said three times or done three times before you can build muscle memory. Well, here are your dogs who are like basically they're just you know, hanging out and they're, uh, uh, they're trying their best to, um, you know, to just be dogs. And because of the way a lot of people handle the dogs and because they don't necessarily think first before they do things, a lot of times these dogs end up with, you know, with issues. So when the other dog is coming towards you, instead of, you know, having a fit and trying to go the other way. Just give a dog a mild correction, put him on the opposite side, teach him what you want him to do. And by teaching him what you want him to do, it's going to change the behavior. Don't get mad at him for being a dog. He's just a dog. He just doesn't understand what you're asking of him. But when you ask it of him and when you start seeing that, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is something that he can understand, then he'll stop reacting. If you need more help than that, you can always call us on our 800 number, 855-449-9288, and we're happy to help. You can call 1-855, the number 4, the letter K, the number 9, PROS, P-R-O-S, so 1-855-4K9-PROS, or you can also call the 855-449-9288. We'll be happy to help you. And uh, depending on where you're located, even potentially be able to come to your home to help you with your situation. But remember that whatever it is you're doing with your dog, consistency, and the, the word consistency has been so misused in dog behavior and in dog training. Every local person, everybody's a dog trainer. Everybody's a service dog trainer. Everybody is an expert. Well, guess what? They're not. But you're not going to know that. And if it doesn't sound right, somebody wants to use a shock collar or a prong collar or a choker chain or something on your your dog, you don't want them to do it. Tell them, no, I, we're not going to do that. Do you know anything else? Is there anything else you can you can teach me? And if they don't have the ability, then maybe they're just the wrong person for you. Maybe that person really has no clue and they're basically just you know making money on you, but they don't know what to do and they can't deliver. So that's that's what I want you to think about is if they can't deliver because they don't know what to do, then why are you having them come to your home or meeting them somewhere and allowing them to do something that you wouldn't normally do? So I think that's going to be the biggest part of this is making sure 
that you are able to kind of, I don't want to say predict, but anticipate that in particular situation that might be difficult for your dog. And once you anticipate, do something. If the dog is doing nothing, you're fine. If the dog is perking up, tightening its muscles, pricking its ears forward or back too much. Um, if your dog is staring, hyper-focused on something, if he kind of grows from the shoulders, like he kind of almost stands up into his shoulders and they get bigger like the Incredible Hulk used to do, that's fine, okay? But when he does that, that's your sign and your signal to correct it. Teach him that he's not allowed to do that. Correct him before he actually does the bad behavior and then reinforce or reward him if he doesn't see it through to, to fruition. And if he doesn't see it through and he decides, you know, to, to let's say, you know, oh, I'm going to go lay down. Well, don't punish him for that, right? That's a good thing. That's where we want him to know that he did a good job. That's where we want to reinforce. So we're going to have to break for a quick moment, and then we're going to come back with from shelter dog to service dog. So don't go away. We'll be right back. So today we're going to be talking about turning your dog into either a therapy dog, emotional support dog, or full-fledged service dog. I get these questions all the time. People asking me, Janice, why is it that I can't bring my dog on the plane? It's my service dog. Or can you train, famous last question, can you train my dog to be a service dog? Well, first of all, what would I be training him to do? Well, you know, a service dog. What do you want the dog to be able to do? Visit people in the hospital. Okay, that's not a service dog. Oh, yeah, it's a service dog. It has the vest in it. No, that's not a service dog. It's a therapy dog. Oh, well, what's the difference? Well, here we go. It's kind of like who's on first, right? Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. So if we're trying to train a dog to be a service dog, which is the most, the highest level of training, you would have to have somebody who has a disability so that the training of the dog and the tasks the dog will perform will help to mitigate or lessen the severity of those disabilities. So for instance, if someone has a broken leg or, and it doesn't heal right and you're limping on it and it hurts you or you, God forbid, have an amputation or you have whatever it is, if you're able to have a dog mitigate, so let's say prevent you from having to use a cane or a walker. So you could lean like my, my good friend Dexter and his service human, Kier. Hey, Key, love you. If you're able to do that and you're able to train that dog to mitigate that, that disability and then the dog is able to act as an assistive or adaptive device, basically the dog is acting in lieu of or instead of um, a cane or a crutch or a walker or wheelchair, then that task would be considered ADA compliant because the dog has to be able to mitigate the disability. So let's say, for instance, you, um, you have a hearing issue. 
So you have a disability, you're legally disabled, but you have a dog who doesn't mitigate that disability. Let's say you have a chihuahua and all it does is bark all day long and you really don't care because you can't hear it, but your neighbors can. That cannot be a service dog because if the dog, if you can, if you're having a dog alert by barking and you can't hear, how is the dog helping you? It's not. So think about if you had a hearing dog and the dog is able to alert you that someone was behind you, that someone was calling on TTY, um, if somebody were, let's say, asking you a question but you didn't see the person or in any way of helping you, maybe hear a truck that's coming or hear a ding and in a doorbell of something that you can't hear without, then that would be a disability that would require or that would be mitigated by the dog, by the service dog. If you don't have a disability, say, thank you, God, because you don't have a disability. Don't try to fake a service dog to get it onto an airplane because now it's federal. Now it's a criminal offense to do that. But people used to do that for years. It was terrible. And, you know, they just didn't want to, I guess, pay the money that it was going to cost to have their dog on the plane. But a service dog is not a joke. A service dog, a well-trained service dog, and granted probably 70 to 80% of all the agencies and people who claim they can train know nothing or know very little and are not good at it. But there are some very, very good places like Merlin's Kids. We are excellent. Um, you have some of the other organizations that even if they are not great, but they do a good job and the dog is able to help with its tasks, those dogs would be considered service dogs. Even if you are able or you have somebody who's a friend or a relative or yourself, if you are able to train that dog to do specific tasks to mitigate your disability, even though your dog has not been professionally trained, it still will qualify to be your service dog provided you have that disability. You have to have a disability for which the dog can mitigate the damage or the disability. Uh, the funniest one I saw was this little tiny Yorkie service dog, supposedly. And a woman was um, in a wheelchair. Um, apparently, that was you know her life. She was in a wheelchair. And she was also visually handicapped, so she really couldn't see well. So she was arguing at the airport that this is her service dog. She says, but I'm legally blind. And they said, but, but ma'am, you're in a wheelchair. Um, you have an attendant with you all the time, and you have a chihuahua. It's not a guide dog. The dog is not a guide dog. So just the fact that you have a disability, if that dog cannot mitigate the disability, you don't have uh, a viable, even though you have a legitimate disability, the dog must be able to mitigate that disability. So. Let's say you have this dog, a great dog, really nice dog, and you think that he can be trained to be a service dog. So, and you say, wow, this is great, but I don't have a disability. Well, guess what? He's not a service dog. He can't be a service dog because a service dog specifically is task trained to mitigate a disability. And there are two questions that you can be asked if you do have a legitimate service dog or not. Is this a service dog required because of a disability? 
And you would answer yes or no. And what tasks or jobs is the dog trained to perform? So what task is the dog trained to perform? Uh, well, I don't know. He plays tricks and he plays basketball and he jumps up and he licks my face and I feel better. Okay, that's an emotional support dog. That's a dog that doesn't need to have any training. That could be your ill-behaved or somewhat well-behaved pet. An emotional support dog does not enjoy ADA privileges, Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. It does not enjoy any of those privileges. What can a, a, a dog do for an emotional support dog? It can just make you feel great. Isn't that, after all, why all of us pretty much get a dog? Don't we, like, get a dog because we want emotional support? Like, isn't every dog kind of an emotional support dog? Isn't every pint of Ben and Jerry's kind of an emotional support ice cream? right? Isn't sugary, fudgy, gooey ice cream, chocolate, and all kinds of stuff emotionally supportive? Yes. But if you don't have a disability and the dog is not able to mitigate that disability, it's not a service dog, but it could be an emotional support dog. What's the difference? Emotional support dog, you need to have a letter from your, uh, you know, healthcare provider, which of course you can go online and get these bogus IDs and fake letters. And if you do that, please don't listen to the show anymore because it's just despicable to do that. But there are plenty of dogs that are out there who, even though they're not service dogs, are hugely helpful to people with certain psychiatric issues. The people really don't need a service dog. They don't really need the tasks. They just need the comfort that comes from having their dog. And I have no problem with that. Just make sure your dog is well-trained and well-behaved isn't coming after my service dog, isn't trying to bite a child or rip a kid's face off on, on like Southwest Airlines. And, and all you're doing is bringing your dog with you because for you, trust me, chances are very good that your dog really doesn't want to be on that airplane in a cramped space with all the weird things happening. And if you haven't trained the dog prior to be able to deal with that and understand all that, then guess what's going to happen? Nothing. Your dog is going to have a problem, and either you're going to wind up with a problem, or the dog is going to wind up getting a health issue or getting scared or not being able to go through doors or not you know, having the same life that it had before. Flying is not easy on dogs. A lot of things that people want dogs to do, like, oh, I want my dog to go to the fireworks demonstration with me. Really? Can you just go by yourself? The dog doesn't really want to see the fireworks. They're scared because they think there are bombs dropping in thunder and lightning. That's what they think that all is. It's just pretty lightning. So we don't want to do that. We want to try instead, as much as you possibly can, to work with your dog and, you know, basically just teach your dog whatever level you need. An emotional support dog should have as a basic uh, I would say a CGC. I think every dog should get a CGC, a canine good citizen. Um, I'm actually a CGC evaluator, so I can do that. But there, if you go on the American Kennel Club website, you'll see for CGC, there are a lot of evaluators. I won't say there's a lot, but there's enough that if you want to take classes, at least do that because when you come out of the AKC CGC venue, you can then show that that, you know, your dog passed these basic skills. Now, it is definitely true that if you know somebody who's a CGC evaluator other than me, 
um, you know, they might show you a little favoritism. But then if they pass your dog and then they go back and check and they see that, oh, that person passes all these dogs that have issues and, and aren't good, that person who you tried to fake it, that person is going to lose his ability and his accreditation to do CGC evaluation. So why would you do that? Don't do that. Just be honest. All right. So the next part of this is what do you do if you have a dog that, let's say you want to go to hospitals and visit hot people in nursing homes and hospitals and such. Let's talk about pre-COVID. So what do you do um, when you want to take your dog into the hospital, into the nursing home, into a child's you know, daycare center? Or go where you know we've had all these unfortunate situations with weather events and school shootings and all kinds of things like that. If you're able to, if you have a dog who's a really good dog, well-behaved, well-mannered, doesn't jump, isn't an idiot, if you want to try, you can certainly try. Again, I would do CGC, but there's something called TDI, Therapy Dog International. So for therapy dogs, somebody has to put some time into that dog because they can't jump on people, yet if they're asked to jump up on furniture, they should be able to. Um, they might be dealing with people with autism who are making erratic movements or who are acting in an unusual way. They might be near, um, you know, near someone with um, advanced um, dementia who might be making screaming sounds or hitting things or whatever. So that's what I'm saying. No matter what happens, your dog needs to have basic training, even if it's just an emotional support dog and it's just there and it's very present, makes you feel better, which I think is fine. Just don't lie about it. Um, we all love our dogs and we all want our dogs to be with us all the time. But, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's better to be honest with yourself and with others and not try to pretend it's something that it isn't. So. When we also have now with the um, therapy dog, there are a lot of different places. Like Merlin's Kids, we do that. We therapy dog training, service dog training. And you can find a place near you that specializes in Canine Good Citizen or Therapy Dog International TDI or the CGC. And then it's nice because your dog can learn all the different skills so that when you do go to visit, and let's say you're going to go visit a, um, you know, a nursing home, the dog will be well-behaved and you won't have to take him out because he urinated and defecated all over the floor and because he was jumping on all the residents and scratched the lady in the eye. You don't need to do that. So what we're going to do is for CGC and for uh, Therapy Dog International, you're going to teach your dog to be calm. When people walk in the front door, don't get all excited. Don't get crazy. Don't get stupid. Just walk in the door and ignore the dog. You want the dog to not be reacting when other things are going on. Because just imagine if you have a dog with a kind of skitzy temperament, like you have some, you know, designer dog that has, you know, a lot of poodles sometimes, even though standard poodles are wonderful. I find that a lot of the poodle mixes, like probably at least half of them, have serious behavioral issues or physical issues. So if they have significant issues behaviorally, they're not going to be good to be therapy dogs. But that being said, there are some awesome 
therapy dogs who are actually um, or have been, you know, used in um, hospitals and nursing homes. And those dogs might even be a German Shepherd. It might be an Akita. We had an Akita in one of my classes that I was teaching. And this Akita was one of the kindest dogs I've ever seen. It was just such a good dog. I don't know where it came from because everybody else in the family was trying to eat it. But it was just a really great dog. I trained it with the lady and the dog is a therapy dog. I would never think I could do that with an Akita. But you can't be myopic. You have to look at what potentially can happen and what potentially, like, what are the drawbacks and what are the positives? What are the drawbacks and what are the benefits of, you know, doing this with these dogs? So for a therapy dog, once you get your training, you'll typically go with other therapy dogs to go to a hospital or nursing home or childcare or whatever you're going to be doing. So what happens when your dog is not good with other dogs? Well, obviously, you're all going to go together or you're going to meet there and somebody's dog isn't going to get along. Well, if it's your dog who isn't going to get along with the others, then you either go, you know, where do it this where you're by yourself or you start teaching your dog like in the beginning, the first half of the show today. I was trying to help you guys and that's what I'm tying it into now. When you have, um, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, um, you know, when you do have a dog who you feel has some kind of talent, some kind of ability, and you don't have a disability yourself, you can train the dog pretty easily to be a therapy dog. You can get a certification from CGC, Canine Good Citizen. You can get one um, also for, um, for a therapy dog, which is Therapy Dog International, PDI. So try to listen and try to think about what you would do Think about how you would handle if you were asked when you brought this fake service dog in or this fake therapy dog and the dog starts peeing and pooping all over, dog starts running around, dog starts rushing past you, running out a door, uh, jumps on people. You know, I've seen dogs lift their leg, male dogs lift their leg on a human being, foot or leg. Yes, I have seen it. But your key to fixing everything is to make sure that um, no matter what, that you know what the verbiage is, you know what each of these things is called. If you're training the dog to be an emotional support dog, that's one thing. That's for specifically you or an individual um, to make that person feel better. The dog does not have to be trained, but I do suggest you do train it anyway. So there's another. Um, another good opportunity um, for you to work with the dog. And if you're going to have a service dog, remember you need to have a disability. Be, be happy if you don't have a disability, but the person who will be handling the dog must have a disability or it's not going to be a service dog. And then finally, which I think is just really important, is what the rest of us have. What do we all have? Like I have a bunch of service dogs. I have a lot of show dogs. but I also have companion dogs. Companion dog means just your basic pet, your good dog. You come home at the end of the day, he doesn't jump and he wags his tail and comes up to you to be petted. And you just 
love him or her. You think the world of him or her. You Like he's the best dog in the entire universe. Why do you need to bring that dog on a plane to scare him? Why do you need to try to, um, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, why do you need to fake it? Why do you need to do something that is going to be very obvious to other people? And why do you have to drag your dog along? So when you're training your dog to do service dog work, a really important part of that is the vest, making sure that when you put that vest on, that you're not out somewhere that the dog has never been. The most important part and the best part for sure um, in training a service dog is really going to be like we used to do with the horses. You school at home, one level above where you're showing. So that means you're practicing things at home more than you're using them in public. So let's say uh, what we do is let's say safe spot, which is where the dog, that's a Merlin's kid's term, Janice Wolf term. Uh, you won't see that anywhere. But our safe spot is a blanket we put down that whoever's handling the dog puts the dog into. It's a basically a downstay, but it's not. We say we put the dog down and we correct, we shush the dog, we basically tell the dog not to um, not to move from that place because we need to know where the dog is. Maybe the dog is tethered to a child. Um, maybe the dog is in the middle of a room um, and we don't want a child to, you know, run in the street or run out the front door or whatever it is. So, you know, we have to look at the the, the need that we have and the reason why um, we really want to get that um, as settled as we can because if we look at something and we say, okay, here's this dog and the dog is, you know, well-behaved, I almost don't even mind, uh, not that I like it, but as long as your dog is well-behaved, I almost don't care if you have a service vest on them. But if your dog is not well-behaved and if your dog is looking at things and smelling things and constantly sticking its nose up people's crotches and you know, the dog is trying to steal food off the floor and dog is dragging ahead of you. It's going to say hi to everybody like this fake, it was a pit bull fake service dog. This woman was in uh, whatever supermarket I was in, I think Weiss Market. And the woman starts to say, you know, oh yeah, don't worry. My dog won't hurt you. He's a service dog. And I just looked at her and I said, I said, no, he's not. I said, but mine at home is because my dog would never go up to somebody else. And she goes, oh, well, he's friendly. I said, he's not a service dog, though. And she was so upset with me that I dared challenge her, but that's not a service dog. I mean, kind of common sense, a service dog provides a service to an individual. Uh, on the other hand, you know, a therapy dog can provide, you know, therapy and, and kindness and unconditional love to a patient or, or more patients, but it's a totally different relationship. And then obviously, you know, we want to make sure that as much as we can, that we teach the dog and are very consistent, which I touched on earlier. If we're consistent, we're always doing the same thing, the same way, 
That's great for teaching and for learning. It's not always great, though, if you're trying to have a dog who can do anything in public. You want to make sure that when you're training this dog, that you're training the dog with as few distractors as you can um, normally, so that when you do have the distractors, now you can correct if the dog is distracted. But if you are trying to train the dog, for instance, your neighbor has a yappy, annoying dog and doesn't shut up and chases everybody away off the property or off from anywhere near the property with an electric fence. If that dog comes onto my property and does damage, I sue the, the people, right? Because they're not allowed to damage my property. It's still no trespassing. And if somebody instead said, you know, oh, I, I want to, you know, have the, um, you know, I want to have the, the electric fence because I like to see the deer, you know, walking onto the property. That's good. Just remember the dogs are going to probably eat the deer poop. So your basic idea of what everybody has to kind of think about and remember is to make sure that no matter what happens, you're honest and honorable. You train the dog at home for the new skills until it becomes very skilled and good with those new skills. And then once the dog has mastered the skill and it's almost mundane and rote by that point, um, you can then take the dog and, you know, bring the dog to a new place, bring it into, um, you know, an indoor place or whatever venue you choose. But also by doing that, you're helping the dog to get that clarity and understanding that, oh, okay, I know this skill. We learned this at home. Let me see if this is the same skill um, that, you know, I did for, you know, the other thing that got me a cookie. Oh, look, I'm being a good boy and I'm getting a cookie. What did I do? Let me do it again. So that's the most important part, I guess, of everything is the clarity of understanding, making sure your dog understands what you want him to do and why, and show him how to do it so that you set him up for success and not for failure. Can't believe an hour went by already. Unfortunately, we've got to go. So I hope everybody will tune in next week and we'll be able to, you know, chit-chat a little bit more. Maybe we'll have a caller or a guest. But we need to really work on this right now, folks, because we're right still in the midst of COVID and there are going to be a lot of children and a lot of dogs who have a lot of issues because of everything happening. And if you have a COVID puppy, you better start working with it now because if you, if and when you do go back to school, oh man, you're going to have such bad separation anxiety. So everybody have a great night. Be well. Good safe holiday. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. And please be safe. Don't eat too much turkey. Um, be safe in in every day. Be respectful of others. And make sure you take good care of your puppy. Take care.